This is your LA Business and Jobs Forecast, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. We explore action plans that you can apply to improve your income, investments, and career progression. Roger Turnaden, Director of Business and Legal Programs for UCLA Extension, is your host. He brings over 30 years of leadership experience with global companies, including Senior Vice President and Director of Worldwide Marketing for American International Group and a similar global position with Transamerica Insurance Group. He is also a certified financial planner an NYU Stern School PhD, and brings years of experience advising private business owners and high net worth individuals. Roger's passion is to better understand the interrelationships and connectivity of global economics and impactful market financial trends. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. The highly publicized monthly press releases trumpet low inflation, price stability, and high economic growth. This is misleading. Today's podcast discusses why this is and how it impacts you. In our prior podcast, we offered perspective on how best to protect yourself for the next recession. Think about trends and cycles. Let's now add the term channels and imagine all three in this example. A shopper drives into the shopping center parking lot almost every Saturday around noon. The parking lot sign always indicates between 100 and 200 spots are available. So life is normal, whether the number is 126 or 128, right? Imagine this Saturday only 15 spots are available. Or on the other hand, imagine the sign says 315 are available. What is our shopper to think? Well, 15 spots probably means the mall's packed, and I honestly may rethink even going to the mall because I hate long lines. 315 spots, however, I'm over the moon because it means fewer people and possibly rock star parking. Good point. We generally don't think about small changes because they are predictable and comfortable. But as soon as it's large enough to become an inconvenience, that's when we start to notice that something's different and requires further investigation. Unlike the parking sign in the garage, financial changes, even big ones, are harder to detect in the economy. It's really about looking at the long-term trends. Our last episode, we brought in long-term housing price trends, including an actual 50-plus year price trend of about 4% a year. So like the parking example, assume the year-to-year price changes occur in a channel of 3% on the lower end and 5% on the higher end. And assume the cycles inside the channel have ups when mortgage rates are low and downs when mortgage rates are high. So if we detect a trend and there are repeating cycles that support this trend, we get used to its consistency. It's comfortable. However, if house prices suddenly start going up to 8%, we should be asking why that change is and if the data it is based off of is truly representative. Today's episode helps you see key warning signs that lurk underneath otherwise comfortable-looking economic announcements. 
Speaking more directly, today's episode demonstrates how official cost of living and inflation statistics can lull many to sleep by disguising or hiding patterns that will impact your financial and career health when they do surface. Let's talk about some real controversies and at the same time arm you and your family with hard to find but really important facts. For example, month after month, year after year, you hear there's almost no inflation and the economy is growing at historically high rates and that we have full employment, right? Well, I would hope so, but something tells me that maybe instead of a healthy economy, we might be in trouble. Not exactly, but you're close. For example, the U.S. economic headlines for the past couple of years have been reported that the economy is at full employment, growing over 2% a year with only 2% inflation. This is not necessarily accurate. The same underlying economic data used to generate these headlines can also demonstrate that inflation is greater than 4%, that the number used to determine employment is not accurate because it doesn't include everyone who is unemployed, and that there is actually no economic growth at all. The gross national product is the sum of all market prices for all goods and services in the United States. If we remove inflation from the sum of the gross national product, we are left with what is real economic growth. So if our inflation is actually 4% or higher, then the result is no economic growth. So how did the headlines come up with 2% inflation growth when the same data could be used to indicate 4% or more? You'll get this answer and more such as, does the consumer price index really represent price increases and inflation? Does the headline unemployment rate really represent the job growth and health of the economy? And why is it desirable, if not crucial, for official reports to have the lowest possible cost of living increases? Here's one hint. A higher official consumer price index brings with it a really serious issue that almost no one thinks about, but impacts almost everyone in some big ways. Mm, I'm with you, but I want to know how some of these answers will help us. If inflation is recognized as an issue, then we're talking about some big shifts in the financial marketplace, right? Or are you saying that if economic growth has been substantially overstated, then won't the stock market react badly at some point? I'm just wondering how these issues can suddenly just pop up out of nowhere. They can appear to pop up to those who are in their comfort zone and not looking for the major threats. Can you count the number of now bankrupt retailers who suddenly found out their customers moved to online competitors? Or the taxi fleet owners who suddenly discovered Uber or Lyft? How about the thousands of insurance companies suddenly discovering the rapid growth of online insurance buying and near-automatic claims payment processing? Our objective is to help you gain insights today to avoid becoming tomorrow's victim with respect to finance and career-related decision-making. Let's start by better understanding how popular measures of inflation are misunderstood and even mischaracterized. We'll share with you the relationships between reported inflation rates, total GNP growth, and measures of employment or unemployment. In other words, you'll be able to contemplate how inflation is reported around 2% every year when so much we purchase food, restaurant prices, rent, cars, health care, movies, cable, and so on, seem to increase in price far more than 2% a year. Think about this. What if your intuition is correct 
and inflation is closer to 4% or even higher, but reported to be 2%. Why should you care? We're going to start with the U.S. gross national product in a way that's easy to understand. In 2006, the average hourly wage was $20 an hour, and in 2019, it is $28 an hour. That's a 40% increase. Is that good? Maybe not. If the prices paid for living expenses went up more than 40%, then the pay today buys less. Okay, so what really happened? For the same period, reported consumer price index increased from 200 to 256, an increase of 28%, so life is good. Maybe not. Income up 40% and prices up 28% as reported. But here's another way to look at this example data. Earnings increased 2.6% a year and prices increased, as reported, 1.9% a year. Here's the important issue. The price increase has a lot of room for creative adjustments that would make it look much better than reality. First off, the basket used for measuring price increases does not stay the same year after year. For example, if steak prices move up too much, an assumption is made that hamburger or vegetable burgers instead of steak will be tracked by the index. The lower price substitute, by definition, reduces the index and dampens future price increases. Equally as important, prices of many specific items in the index are subject to what is called hedonic adjustment. That's H-E-D-O-N-I-C. That's a fancy term for knocking down the most recent price increases by assuming a part of the price increase goes for quality improvement. To make this point real, assume the newest washer or dryer has a better water sensor. So today's price of, say, $600 would be reduced to $550 for the index to account for the addition of a better water sensor. If last year's old price was also $550, then there's a zero price increase, even though you have to pay $50 more for the item. Get it? Let me make sure I understand. Are government agencies who are reporting these price changes or cost of living increases make their own value judgments on adjusting prices downward? So let's say the price of a car goes up by 5%. I'd have to pay that 5% increase, obviously, to buy the car. But if some government analyst thinks that the quality of the car increased by that same 5%, then the consumer price index increase would be a zero? Yes, you would be paying 5% more for an item, but there would be no inflation. Never mind you may not agree with the analyst about the quality increase assumption. Let's be more specific, as this adjustment is a key part of the cost of living reporting system. Here are some facts you should consider before I share why all this is so important for you. Home real estate prices were taken out of the consumer price index a few decades ago, so the run-up in home prices wasn't reflected year to year. Home real estate prices were taken out of the consumer price index a few decades ago. It's still not. A quasi-rent calculation took its place, and this calculation averages out any rent changes over many years. In brief, if you're noticing recent home price increases and recent rent increases, this barely impacts your major cost of living per the index. Yes, you may well be paying more than 2% annual increase, plus increases in, in home insurance and maintenance expenses that never seem stable. Did you know that as your health care deductible and co-pays increase, the cost of living index does not include these growing out-of-pocket payments? Did you also know that the food and energy costs are not included in the core CPI index that is regularly reported? 
government-mandated gasoline formulation or additives increase gas prices by more than 10 cents a gallon, but this 10 cent increase is excluded from the index. Never mind, you have to pay it. New computers and cell phones have their own index prices lowered, even below retail price declines, because they have presumed major quality improvements. How many need all these presumed improvements? Doesn't matter, but the index adjustment reflects them. This one is worth repeating. The consumer price index is constantly adjusted for perceived quality increases item by item, even though no one really knows what a quality adjustment is worth. The system of adjustment is called hedonics, and you can Google it to find out more. Just Google these two words, inflation, hedonics. For today, the point is that the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the Federal Reserve, government leadership, and our politicians have historically taken steps to present low levels of inflation and consumer price index stability. Today's examples are the most basic, but math calculating methodology has lowered the reported consumer price index by about 1% a year for many years. Okay, well, let's slow down. What's the bottom line? How much higher could inflation be in terms of what I buy or pay for every week or every month? And why is there such a focus to want to report low inflation aside from the obvious political gain to get reelected? I agree. Let's move to a higher altitude. Every administration, Democratic or Republican, has to deal with the so-called third rail of politics, Social Security. Social Security receipts each year are lower than the annual payments. With the entire Social Security fund balance on track to disappear in the next 15 or so years. Stay with me on this. The lower the reported inflation, the lower the annual adjustments to Social Security recipients. For the past 10 years, Social Security recipients have received only 1.4% a year in average increases. If they would have received 3%, 4% or higher to compensate for cost of living increases, all of us, especially the politicians, would be dealing with a bankrupt Social Security system today. Who wants to do that? Okay, so year to year, despite reported low inflation, we're not getting ahead. We're gradually losing lifestyle quality with favorable economic indicators. You are best to judge for yourself on the bigger question. But I'd argue retirees have borne the brunt of this process, and they are very likely feeling it day-to-day, month-to-month. I'll leave these two thoughts with you. First of all, do you suspect that movies, gasoline, insurance, health care, caregivers, and so forth have increased in price more than 1.4% a year for the past 10 years? Number two, given a choice, would a government agency or a politician prefer to report price stability, low inflation, and Social Security funding adequacy? Or would they prefer to deal with consumer complaints, if not uproars, coming from voters? A reminder that our focus is economic, but political and government agency practices do impact the economic issues, sometimes by a lot. For the sake of time, I'm going to try to shed light on what you must be asking yourself. If inflation is not represented by the consumer price index, and it's not, and if inflation has not been running at 1% to 2% a year, which seems mighty low, what is the real inflation rate? I'll give you both an answer and a website. 
Inflation for your family depends on exactly what you buy. So going forward, you may choose to record a sample of your actual expenditures for a month. Then a year later, note the price increases on the specific items. If you don't want to do this, you can get a rather concrete idea by going to a reference source that does track comparable market baskets of goods and services for major consumer segments. The takeaway is that actual inflation may be running closer to 5% a year versus the official core inflation rate of 2% that is reported by the media. (laughs) Wow. So you're saying that inflation may be twice the rate we are led to believe. Yes. Before we finish in a few minutes, I'll give everyone a website that's helpful for better understanding. The inflation calculations presented are free, so please understand I'm not trying to get you to subscribe to their services. Again, the best indicator of inflation for each household is for each household to create their own list of items and prices, then look in on your list once a year. For now, I want to point out one more major issue. Has the U.S. economy actually been growing, or have we been in a stagnant position in recent years? Here's how the question relates to this episode. The gross national product or gross domestic product measurement starts with the market value of all goods and services produced. The GNP or GDP involves market price. We just finished a segment which focuses on price inflation. Economic growth is a measure of real growth. If the government reports the economy grew at 3%, that means that the actual units of products and services, the production, grew at 3%. The price inflation is removed, so the so-called real growth is measured. If the market value of GNP or GDP, for example, grew at 5% last year, then say 2% of official price inflation is removed, then the resulting real growth is 3%. But imagine if the inflation was underaccounted for and the actual inflation rate was 5% instead of 2%. Then 5% growth minus 5% inflation yields zero growth for the economy. Here's a quick summary. To the degree that price increases in the U.S. have been closer to 5% in past years instead of the widely publicized 2%, the U.S. has had almost no growth. It's been stagnant. What does this mean? It means businesses can't really count on growth across the board, and business competition gets more intense. It suggests increasing bankruptcies and higher unemployment. It is also a possible reason that new business investment over the past few years has been minimal across the U.S. Additional capacity is simply not needed. Okay, we're ready. What action should we be taking? Remember that the trend is your friend, but maybe not in the obvious way. When you look at long-term trends, don't assume they continue that way forever. The trend is to help you think about where we are now. It's not a future forecast. Every trend has a normal-looking channel, a low-end and a high-end. Forget about complex math and just look at where we are. We are above the long-term trend and any reasonable upper channel on home price increases. We are below trend on interest rates. We are told that economic growth is above trend, but we also know that economic growth is likely exaggerated by the very way it's reported. We are told that inflation is low, but we also know that the cost of living index with its downward biases underreports the inflation rate. The stock market is above any long-term trend and channel calculation. So let me ask you, what do you think you should do?
Well, there's a lot of things running through my head. I think it would be smart to review my whole financial and job situation. In fact, we should really reduce any risk and not add any debt of any kind. Are there any other tools that could help us? I promised you a website where you can view a lot of free information compiled over the years by a professional but non-governmental source. Here you can view an objective source of trends that have many of the adjustments made by government reporting agencies actually added back. It's not perfect, but it gives you a counterpoint for consideration when you hear the regular media reporting on economic announcements. The website is www.shadowstats.com. That's S-H-A-D-O-W-S-T-A-T-S dot com. And this reference will be in the notes and description for the podcast. Click on the tab for alternate data to find the higher end of inflation and related economic indicators. If you do this, then you'll have a range or a channel for improved understanding. I'd also like to call your attention to the Federal Reserve Bank data and graphics produced by the St. Louis Fed. You can Google this reference to get started. FRED, Real, Median, Household, Income in California. FRED is capitalized, F-R-E-D, all capital. FRED, Real, Median, Household, Income in California using official data we just referred to. California real household income increased from about $69,000 in 2006 to $70,000 this year, which works out to be about 0.1% a year. And that's using the official consumer price index. If higher than the official inflation numbers would be plugged in, then family incomes after inflation would be significantly lower than they were 13 years ago. Join us next time, where Roger helps you understand where are large additional layoffs in process, how can you best protect your job and career growth, and what jobs are most impacted by the ramp-up of artificial intelligence. Remember to email him any of your questions or comments at rturnadin at uclaextension.edu. You're listening to UCLA Extension's Business and Jobs Forecast, expanding your financial mind to grow your financial wallet. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director, Roger Tornaden. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.com. We know it's about your life, not just your money.